Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALR PRA Incorporated, a global law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We also connect domestic and international firms for international legal issues. Here at ALR PRA, we help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is trial consultant John D. Gilliland, who's a Ph.D. and is our expert jury selection guest. Dr. Gilliland's expertise in social psychology and empirically researched trial consulting will guide today's discussion. Dr. Gilliland started working with juries in 1988 and has been in the business for 23 years, studying juries, persuasion, attitude change, and small group dynamics for 28 years. A website where you can find more information is www.trialgraphics.com, and I'll spell that out for you. It's T-R-I-A-L-G-R-A-P-H-I-X.com. We'd like to welcome callers to the show today. If you have a question, please feel free to give us a call. Telephone number for the call-in is area code 917-889-9732, and you can press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That telephone number again is 917-889-9732, and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. When calling in, please also be kind and mute your phone so that when you're waiting to make a comment, we can avoid the background noise. Now, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and results may vary based on your specific facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. Further, this programming is politically neutral and objective. Counterpoints to views expressed are always welcomed on our program. ALRPRA also does not always necessarily endorse the opinions expressed by guests. And further, all callers do remain confidential, and rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. We do have a special a sponsor guest who's calling in today. We expect uh, her to be calling in shortly. And uh, let me tell you what this event is going to be, something that we don't often have here in Chicago. Well, guess what? This weekend, it's on. It's the Professional Bull Riders Chicago Invitational at the United Center. That's right, bull riding at the United Center. The Professional Bull Riders are here in Chicago March 5th through 6th for the Chicago Invitational. Tickets start at $10 and are available at the United Center box office. 1985 Chicago Bears season players are currently at Union Station riding the mechanical bull. The professional bull rider's chief marketing officer, Ms. Dockery Clark, should be calling in any moment to tell us a little bit more about this weekend's event. So join me and my friends at the Chicago Invitational this weekend at the United Center. So, uh, as we get going here, we were going to, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the subject matter of today's program, and then what I might do is try to uh, reach out and give a phone call directly to um, Ms. Clark. Actually, I don't know if I have her cell phone uh, with me, but the subject matter for today, um, with extensive knowledge of juror behavior, including attitude change and persuasion techniques, 
attributional reasoning, and group decision-making processes, John Gilliland is a top-tier authority on the impact of social media on all aspects of jury consulting. A recent Wall Street Journal article details uh, how both prosecution and defense lawyers are scouring sites, uh, Facebook and other sites, trying to get information and details about members of the jury pool. So we're going to talk to John, Gil- John Gilliland and talk about ethics, technology, jury consulting, and selection issues here today on Law Talk Radio. So uh, we do have Dockery Clark calling in to tell us a little bit about the bull riding uh, to, at this weekend at the, at the United Center. Um, I'm going to try to dial her directly here. But while we do that, let's uh, say hello to our guest. John, why don't you tell, say hello and tell us a little bit about how you got into jury consulting. Sure, Nick. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I started as a social psychologist and uh, taught at Williams College in Massachusetts for one year prior to looking for applied work and uh, found a guy that was advertising for a jury consultant. It sounded right up my alley, uh, studying attitude change and and persuasion techniques and uh, also having a statistical background in survey, collecting survey data and analyzing survey data. And I applied for the job and I got it. And uh, started started back in 1988. Um, you know, basically fresh PhD out of uh, out of graduate school, and uh, have, have never looked back. It's it's a wonderful job, a very interesting job. We're just trying to dial here. Let's see if we can get Dockery Clark. You know, and one of the things we're going to talk about today is that uh, this whole jury selection process is something that is. Uh, hey. Hey, is this oh. Dockery, Dockery Clark? Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's it's Nick Augustine on ALRPRA, Law Talk Radio. Oh, you know what? We're gonna hang. We're gonna we're gonna see. Okay, let's see. Are you there, Dockery Clark? Go ahead. BBR. All right, sorry, we had a bad connection there. Okay, we just introduced our guest, uh, who is our guest today is John Gilliland, and we're talking about jury selection. But first, we just announced the great event with the, at the United Center, the Professional Bull Riders Chicago Invitational. This weekend, Dockery Clark is on the line. She is the Chief Marketing Officer for the Professional Bull Riders. Dockery, how are you today? Great, Nick. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that I ran into you. Tell us a little bit more about PBR and today's and the events this weekend and today. You got Chicago Bears there, right? We do, and Corey Wooten, I'm proud to announce, is the Mechanical Bull champion, uh, barely narrowly defeating Steve McMichael. So, probably than the um, the the World '85 team. Dockery, can you move towards a towards a better signal? We're kind of losing you here. I'm having trouble hearing you. Can you move uh, towards a door or a window so we can hear you better? Sure. Um, I um, is this better? Yeah, I can hear you a little bit better now. So go ahead. You were saying. Sure, Corey Wooten uh, narrowly defeated um, Steve McMichael in the Mechanical Bull Challenge that we just had at Union Station, and uh, so the Northwestern's uh, uh, champ has uh, has has done the city proud. Excellent. And well, we that everyone. 
he'll be coming out to coach his coach from today, uh, Brendan Clark, uh, tomorrow night at the United Center. We hope everybody will come out. It's the 40 best bull riders in the world uh, competing at the United Center at 6.50 tomorrow night. And then again, the champion will be crowned at 2 o'clock on Sunday. That is so exciting, and let me tell you, when I first found out about professional bull riding, I was watching ESPN, and I had not been a fan before, and when I saw the amount of skill that and sportsmanship in the riders, I was very impressed. It is quite an art. Oh, well, thank, thank you. The, the guys are terrific. I tell you, they're, they're very authentic, true to self, and toughest athletes that I've ever come in contact with in my career, and I can tell you uh, if everyone will come out uh, this weekend, I can promise you they will affordable All right. Well, thanks for calling into the show, and uh, I look forward thanks. to seeing I look forward to seeing you at the United Center. Terrific, Nick. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good day. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, I apologize for the we she she was at uh, Union Station and uh it's probably pretty hard to hear. Um so we uh, appreciate her calling in and again it's going to be at the United Center and if you just uh search on Google for Professional Bull Riders Chicago United Center, NBC has a write up on this and uh, all sorts of uh information about professional bull riding. Again, something we don't usually get here in the city of Chicago. So Go check out the Professional Bull Riders Chicago Invitational at the United Center. Again, some of the top uh, 40 bull riders in the world are going to be there this weekend. So just wanted to uh, promote that event. So back now to John Gilliland. We were talking a little bit uh, about the introduction and how you got involved in jury consulting. So let's continue there. Okay. Well, you know, jury selection is certainly one part of what jury consultants do. The, the vast majority of what they do is help lawyers um, package their cases to, to be more persuasive. But jury selection obviously is the last step, and, and picking the, the, the jury is considered one of the most important steps. And obviously for years, attorneys have you know, tried to find out more about jurors, tried to you know, in, in, investigate, talk with them at the, at the actual jury selection, see what they're thinking, ask them questions about the case, their experiences in the case. And, and it's generally thought the more information you have, the better. And so with the with the introduction of the internet, you know, maybe 10 years ago is when it really started to take off and and, with, and then with the advent of Twitter and Facebook and MySpace and all of those, there's now just a, a wealth of information that's out there and of course attorneys are looking to jury consultants and to others as a way of tapping into that and seeing what they can find out in addition about the jurors in addition to what they bring and what they're willing to volunteer at the actual jury selection. Mm. You know, it's um, it's certainly something that's been, again, hotly debated. Um, I found that Wall Street Journal article that talks about lawyers uh, using Facebook to search the jury pool members while they're in trial. And I had a whole bunch of people talk to me about uh, their opinions. And there are a lot of opinions out there. So um, let's dive right into this and first start talking about jury pool research from the research from the perspective of the jurors in the jury pool. Right. I mean, you, you you want to. That's that's one direction that this goes. Is as the jurors come in, you can try and find out what you can what you can about them. And for of course, attorneys have done that for years. They've. I mean, when I first started off, they were saying, "Well, gee, we have we have the names and addresses of the of the wit of the uh, prospective jurors. Why don't we do some drive-bys and see what kind of neighborhoods they live in, what kind of cars they drive, whether they have, 
you know, security uh, company signs in their front yard, if they're concerned about, you know, personal safety and trying to trying to tap into what their socioeconomic lifestyle might be and and what kinds of people they might be based on that information. Now, of course, all of that is is going off of stereotypes, and you, you see one snippet of behavior or see one one thing and go, ha-ha, I've got this guy pigeonholed. I know what kind of person he is. Now, we all know that's very, very difficult. And one of the things I think jury consultants have brought to the process is uh, broadening the, the minds of the attorneys, that you can't just look at one item. You know, the, uh, Being a minority doesn't necessarily put you on one side of the ledger or the other, a good or a bad juror. Being older doesn't necessarily put you on one side or the other. You have to look at a constellation of characteristics and traits. And that's, of course, why everyone's so interested now that that information is out there and, and more accessible than ever. Uh, you know, as I said, it, it, it's, it's common. It's been done for years. And, and now uh, I think the, the playing field is just sort of leveling out a little bit. It used to be that prosecutors... You know, if you talk about criminal trials, prosecutors had access to more of that information because they could tap into legal databases and see, you know, who'd been, you know, quote unquote, touched by the legal system. You know, who'd who'd been arrested in the past. Um, you know, all kinds of information is available there. You know, whether you know traffic tickets, speeding tickets. Um, you, know, you you can you can usually get into voter registration lists if you want. Um, whether people have sustaining orders, whether they've had financial difficulty and judgments you know, entered against them, bankruptcies, divorces. And, of course, you know, they list all that information out and try and, again, extrapolate from that, you know, is this going to, is this going to be a, a law and order type juror? Is this going to be someone that I want on my jury as a, as a prosecutor? Now, with the advent of you know, disclosures that prosecutors have been doing this for years and, and, and doing searches on jurors from those proprietary databases, some judges in criminal trials are even ordering um, the, the, the prosecution to disclose that information, what they've found about prospective jurors to the defense attorneys because they want a level playing field. They want them to be able to say, you know, if you've got that information, the defense certainly has the right to have that information. Then I guess, you know, as we've been saying, with social media, it, it just goes up the next notch because there is so much information out there, people are are so willing to disclose things about themselves that they may be saying one thing in front of a judge and jury in the in the you know the solemnity of the court and the formality of it, but when you look online, you get quite a different perspective. You can you can uh, see some perhaps you know for want of a better term wilder times of people because people like to post the more interesting things about themselves, what they consider to be interesting. Uh, and and it can sometimes qu- paint quite a different picture. I have a question. Yes, sure. Okay, when you have someone putting, you know, social media gives us an opportunity to uh, put ourselves in the best light possible, or really sell ourselves, or maybe even the fantasy of who we'd like to be. Isn't that a factor to look at? Absolutely. There's no. There's you know. There's absolutely no um, reason to say that what's what what someone's po- posting about themselves is necessarily true. You know, it could be very much a wish list. It could be, you know, I'm this kind of person when, in fact, they're trying to come out of their shell. They're trying to make themselves look more attractive, more interesting. So everything has to be taken with a grain of salt. And um, and you've, you've also got other issues um, that everybody seems to overlook. You know, if you have a Mary Smith in the jury box and you try to look up Mary Smith online, you know, you're going to get 150 Mary Smiths. Um, and you know, all on Facebook. If you're just looking in that in that particular uh, genre, so it, it's not as easy as it sounds. You know, just 
you know, it's not NCIS uh, show that my kids like, you know, where they pop up the computer screen and everything is instantaneous. They never have a bad connection. It never takes time to download information. They always find exactly what they're looking for on the first try. It's it's a rather elaborate process, which is why I, I personally draw a line and saying, you know, if you've got the jurors' names ahead of time, well ahead of time, that this is something you can you can do or invest money in to to try and get their social profile. Uh, if it's if it's online, real time, in court, it's probably not going to be very effective. Makes sense. We're going to pause for a quick break, and then we're going to uh, wrap up our talk uh, from the first uh, perspective. Then we're going to continue on. Again, we want to thank our guest, John Gilliland, for being on the show today. And we're talking about uh, trial consulting and jury selection, all sorts of very interesting, hotly uh, talked about topics today. So uh, our first commercial sponsor is the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Your business may be exposed to liability if your marketing materials and slogans infringe on another's intellectual property. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity while guarding against trademark infringement, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting N kdlaw.com and also by searching for the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. The Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme is there to help you with your advertising copy review. Get in touch with Nancy today again by visiting nkdlaw.com or dial 708-444-7900. That telephone number again is area code 708-444-7900. Our second, our third sponsor is Steve Fretzen of Sales Results Incorporated. If you're an attorney who is struggling with developing your book of business, try calling Sales Results. For over six years, Sales Results has been helping attorneys to double or even triple their books of business through development and coaching programs. Telephone number where you can reach Steve Fretzen at Sales Results, and the Sales Results team is area code 847-347. Three one seven one five seven five again eight four seven three one seven one five seven five or visit them online at salesresultsinc.com again salesresultsinc.com now before we get back to our program we want to again encourage our listeners to call in with any questions they have about today's show telephone number nine one seven eight eight nine nine seven three two option one to be placed in the caller queue you can also find uh, the contact page at alrpra.com, and you can submit your con- uh, questions there through our Contact Us page. Again, for uh, for future shows or for any of the guests that we have on the program, we always appreciate your feedback. So jumping back in, um, John, did you have any uh, additional comments about jury pool research from the perspective uh, of the jurors in the jury pool? Yeah, I mean – Judges are very protective of privacy, and, and when you do the typical voir dire or questioning of the jury pool, you get to you get to submit questions or, or try out questions, and the judges will sometimes say, you know, we're not going to go there. We're not going to invade people's privacy by asking those things. And so now we've got the, the question of, you know, some ethical positions here. Uh, just how far can you go in rooting around in someone's past and digging up information about them, you know, without crossing the line and without alienating the judge as well? So... There's, there's clearly been some, some rulings that have come down over the last couple of months or even year, you know, just these last six to 12 months, I guess, as this is becoming more and more prevalent, um, of, of 
some some folks going beyond the the norm of for for instance friending someone a prospective juror just so that they can get beyond what's public information and into if you want the private section of their Facebook page. That and sounds that like clearly, fraud. Yes, and clear, clearly um that that goes over the line. You know that you you it, I think the general, you know, rule of thumb for most people is if you've put it out there in the public world and you've posted it for everyone to see, it's fair game. Um, you, we can use whatever information you've posted there, whatever we can find out about you there. If you post articles that you've written, if you blog and you sign your name and, and it's findable um, with just the, the normal searching techniques, then it's fair game. Uh, but when you start to do things that are a little deeper investigations, you know, and, and I have to say, you know, uh, the runaway jury with Gene Hackman, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be Gene Hackman, you know, back there looking at the screens and the pictures that they've taken of everyone and the investigations they've done on every prospective juror, it just doesn't happen. It, it, you know, that's just Hollywood. But you know, you do take whatever information you can find. You do see how well it matches your profile of of the juror that you want to strike, and and you go from there. So I think ethics get into uh, get into it quite a bit now. And I, I believe that in one situation where they had a hint of a prospective juror had um, had made it onto the panel and had said something in his public Facebook, uh, one side subpoenaed. Uh, the, you know, asked the court to subpoena his records, his Facebook records, to see what was there at private because they thought there was a hint, uh, perhaps, that he had a bias that he didn't disclose. And he was turned down. The, the, appeal, the, the, the court did not allow that to happen, did not let that private information become public. So uh, I think I've got those facts right. And, and of course, the, the courts reacted in other ways as well. Um, the court now... Um, Right here in our own backyard in Illinois, you know, Rod Lagojevich, Judge Zagel, I think, has indicated that he's going to make the next jury anonymous um, and that he's not going to disclose their names at all. You'll know their professions and and, and the type of industry that they work in, but not even the companies that they work for. So it makes it very, very difficult to look them up. And it's just a reaction to this kind of prying uh, that the judge is trying to avoid. If we switch, you know, the... What's good for the goose is good for the gander, too. We've been talking about investigating prospective jurors, but more and more what uh, we're finding in, in courts, and there have been a number of mistrials recently where jurors have gone online to try and find out information about the parties in the case, about the lawyers in the case, about the witnesses in the case, about the facts of the case, doing their own independent investigations, uh, bringing their own definitions you know, from Wikipedia or, or Webster's into the courtroom to help clarify you know, the meaning of a specific term. And and that is very frowned upon by the court and by the judges. So when that type of thing happens, jurors going outside the box and starting to look, uh, it, it and it comes to the attention of the court, it's very disconcerting. So that's, that's the whole other flip side of this issue that we have to talk about. I mean, it's nothing new. Uh, jurors for years... Uh, we we know have you know in a, in, a, in an ac- automobile accident uh, have have gone to the intersection and looked at the the angles and the distances and and tried to you know you know heighten their own knowledge of of uh, the accident scene and what might have happened. They've brought dictionaries to court and looked things up. They we for years you know you're not allowed to talk about the case with anybody else. But you know you go home, your spouse is there. Well, what went on in court today, honey? And you people have long suspected that that information was shared because it wasn't going to go anywhere else and no one would find out about it. But now, of course, with the Internet, people not only do their investigations, but then they brag about them. They put them in blogs. They talk in uh, in tweets uh, about what they've done. 
they um you know the the recent case of the of the juror who who tweeted i'm i just gave away 12 million dollars of somebody else's money oh and, my you know, that that's after the you know the verdict was rendered but when when uh, there's other there's other clear examples of jurors saying, well, I'm not quite sure what I should do, and here are the facts, and what do you folks think that are on my you know that are on my friends on Facebook? Were they and instructed? Actually, <laughs> well, well, of course they're instructed. They're they're instructed not to talk about the case with anyone. But what we're finding is most judges have give that standard instruction, and they are either reticent or just you know unknowledgeable about the social media world. And so they don't go the next yard and say, by the way, that includes tweeting, Facebooking, blogging, doing all of those things. And again, many jurors take it literally and say, I don't talk about it. Well, if I just post something, I'm not talking about it. I'm just putting information out there. I'm putting my opinion out there. But of course, somebody else writes back or you you blog about uh, something that happened in in the trial and other people give you reactions in their answers. And so then you read those reactions and whether you go the next step of responding to their response, you know, give and take, going back and forth. Maybe you do keep it to yourself, but you still read their opinions and what they've said about right. what they're supposed to. And so right. that's 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 outside knowledge, and the the courts are starting to realize that they're going to have to pre-instruct jurors. You know, we're even suggesting in the, in the trials where we go to jury selection. I've helped in maybe 250 jury selections now. We are suggesting as a as a matter of course that there's a pre-instruction even when they're brought in for jury selection. Because they haven't been sworn in as jurors yet, but the first break, you know, two hours into the jury selection, they go, hmm, I think I'll just look up, you know, this uh, these two parties that are in this litigation. Let me see what I can find. Yeah, you need to do it right away, or or, or they're going to be out there and reaching for those those Blackberries and reaching for those iPhones and seeing what they can find. Right, right, and and I know that this came up in the press um, a little bit of some time ago, and I remember doing some research on different states, and I believe that California had a statutory uh, section or there was a Supreme Court rule that talked about it, and many of the states do and seem to be adopting those. We do have a caller on the line. Uh, do, you, do you mind if we take a question real quick? Not at all. All right, let's bring our caller in. Caller, go ahead. Hey Nick, how you doing? I'm, uh, uh, this is Jim Thompson. Kind of really enjoying this, uh, having uh, been a uh, trial lawyer for 26 years and able to retire. And what John just said just kind of blew my mind because I haven't—I've uh, been retired for about eight years now. And something I never even thought about is all the the tweeting and everything else that goes on. It just absolutely um, <laughs> adds a whole new dimension to. Um, uh, not talking about a case and tweeting your buddy and finding out different things and having your buddies go online and find out all about the lawyers, the parties, the, the, even the other jurors. That's kind of a really um, <laughs> almost a scary thing. And, and, and John, I'd I, I just ask, are you having problems having judges actually start now to tell people that um, they are not a, that is part of it, that they're talking to someone also means uh, – uh, tweeting and going on Facebook and all the other social medias. Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, we 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 find judges are becoming more uh, aware of it. The federal courts. Um, I can't remember the body, but um, a panel that meets just uh, late last year put together a recommended language. It hasn't been approved yet, but for all federal courts to read as a pre-instruction that, that talks just exactly about this. You know, and by by talking with anyone, we mean, and then it goes on to list. And, and and then there's other actions. Judges are considering, you know, confiscating phones and uh, during the, during the court day. But of course, 
many say that doesn't solve anything because when they go home at night, they have access to computers that you give them their, their phones back. You're not going to keep them for the length of the trial. And, um, and so they can do it when they get home. Uh, I, I have a really interesting one. There was a, a case maybe a year and a half ago now where it came to the attention of one of the teams that one of the jurors, one of the deliberating jurors was blogging about the case and making comments. And it wasn't too bad, but it, there still were, was facts out there. So the judge brought him in and asked him if it was true. And he said, well, yeah, I didn't think that was wrong. And the judge said, okay, well, we're going to replace this juror with an alternate, and we're going to move forward with deliberations. And then the judge said, wait a minute, just as a, just as a caution, I'm going to bring the rest of the jury in and ask them. So he brings the rest of the jury in, and he says, has anybody else been posting or talking at all online about this case? Six other hands went up, and they had to <laughs> declare a mistrial and, and uh, start over. And so it, it's, it's not just maybe happening. It's, it's prevalent. It's, it's out there. It, it, that's almost amazing when you, when you stop and think about what, how that could really influence a trial one way or the other. Yeah, and and the recommendation is uh, from the social science world, from the academic world, <clears throat> is the jurors just don't understand the rules of court and that they can only listen to the evidence sure. that's been ruled admissible and it comes in from the witness box. So they um they recommend that along with the instruction you tell them why you're having the instruction that the judge take an extra minute or two and say you know this is because you know throughout the years of this trial as this trial's been preparing to come to court we've we've limited the evidence we've decided what's admissible and what's not admissible and you just can't go out there and start searching and finding other things because that's unfair to both parties and then some have recommended also saying and by the way I'm going to find Anybody, you know, that we find out that you're doing it, you know, or there's there's going to be some consequences if we find out that you've been doing it, because some people have been ignoring the order, just as as you might expect, it always happens. But um, it's it's a twisted world now. It's it's completely different. And some of the older judges are still a little, oh, I don't need to do that. I'll give them my standard instruction. It always works. Well, <laughs> we we don't know if it works because we haven't investigated to see if anybody stepped over the boundaries. But but I, I can I can assure you now it's. It's uh, I don't I don't know if you have a a BlackBerry or but when that thing buzzes and you know you're in the middle of watching a television show or you're out with your wife or it's it's nearly irresistible to, to pick it up and see who's trying to contact mm-hmm. you and and, to, and and it's become second nature you know I ask a question at the dinner table and my daughter says I can look that up ching 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 and she starts texting away you know trying to find the answer to my question and uh, it's it, it's second nature. And to just shut that off because now you're a juror is a very difficult thing to do. No, yeah, I can most uh, imagine that. That's that's just something I hadn't even thought about. There's, you know, the world is changing, and I'll tell you what they'll tell you both this. In 2008, um, as an early adopter of LinkedIn, when I started marketing my company using social media, people told me that I was nuts, and they said, "There is no way a judge is going to be on social media. There is no way anyone is going to use this. This is for kids." And I'll tell you what, um, you know, years later, it's you know, it's 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 interesting. And, and we look at what we the show we did with uh, Egypt when we had um, the guy from Al Arabi News on the ground in Cairo, and uh, the woman um, uh, Sahara Aziz, uh, attorney from Georgetown University. 
Law Center talking about the impact um, of these things. You can change the world using social media, just and you can throw a trial just as easily. So we're going to pause for a quick break. Jim Thompson, thank you for calling in. We always appreciate your comments. We'll be back with John Gilliland and Gilliland. Sorry about that. In uh, a few moments after we hear from, well, we're going to what we're going to bring you is some daily legal news uh, and then our our next commercial break, which is actually Jim Thompson's commercial. So, but first. Uh, from USA Today, there was an article uh, where it says Boehner is Boehner says GOP will defend the anti-gay marriage law if Obama does not. It's by David Jackson in today's USA Today. The article reads, quote, House Speaker John Boehner, Republican from Ohio, said today that members of his caucus will defend the law that forbids federal recognition of same-sex marriages, little more than a week after the Obama administration said that it would no longer defend the law in court. Quote, it's regrettable that Obama administration has opened this divisive issue at a time when Americans want their leaders to focus on jobs and the challenges facing our economy, end quote, Boehner said in statement issued today. The Obama administration announced February 23rd that it would no longer argue on behalf of the the Defense of Marriage Act in pending lawsuits. White House spokesman Jay Carney said President Obama will have a law as long opposed the law as unnecessary and unfair, and the administration attorneys regard that regard it at as unfair as well. In his statement, Boehner said Congress passed a law on bipartisan basis in 1996, and President Bill Clinton signed it. Quote, this, the constitutionality of this law should be determined by the quote, courts, end quote, Boehner said, not the president unilaterally. So again, quite a, a hotly contested issue um, with the uh, with this an- defending anti-gay marriage law. More news to come. Again, we always want to bring you uh, what's hot and happening in the world of law, and we always remind people that this is a politically neutral and objective show. We always appreciate your comments and feedback, so don't be shy. If you have something to say, Call into the show. Let us know. 917-889-9732, option one for the caller queue. And our next commercial sponsor is Jim Thompson and the Get Clients Now program. If you're a solo practitioner or work in a small law firm and want to get more clients, and this sounds like you, there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach who can help. His name is Jim Thompson, and his program is called Get Clients Now, and he'll help you take crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenue. The Get Clients Now program offers various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is a monthly guest on Law Talk Radio every first Thursday of the month, and after retiring from his full trial career as a trial lawyer, Jim decided to focus on helping young as well as seasoned attorneys get more clients. Now, to get more information, you can go to LawyersMarketingResource.com. That's his new website. Again, LawyersMarketingResource.com for more information about different ways that he can help you and through the Get Clients Now program and the accountability components of the course that do help you get more clients. Again, you can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting TheLawyersMarketingResource.com. All right, so now back to our show. We have John Gilliland. We're talking a little bit about jury pool research and uh, everything else. Let's continue in our conversation. Where are we going next? Well, I just want to finish up with sort of the court's response. Um, sure. Some of the things that have been suggested. Uh, it's really difficult to take away their their um, their computers, their their uh, PDAs. So, in some instances, 
some judges have been inventive and asked for their websites, whether they blog or not, and actually write those things down. And then just tell them, we're going to be monitoring your output during this trial. You know, there's just no two ways about it. So that's an, that's another step that the courts can take. That's a good idea. Um, yeah. And I guess the, the next uh, thing I wanted to move to is sort of our role in doing this, because everyone's assuming now, because it's doable, because you, you hear about it, that it's happening on every trial. And the reality is it just it just isn't, you know. And there's a, a number of reasons for that. Um, if if you bring in 40 jurors, and the, the, I mean the typical voir dire process, not that many people have actually been jurors, so I'll just take a second to describe it. But let's say they bring up 40 jurors that are hearing this case, and the judge might fill the jury box with the you know call 16 names at random and put them in the jury box, and then he's going to start by talking with those 16, you know, juror number one in the first seat. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and that's the fir- that's often the first time you get their name, and you don't necessarily have an address. So again, if it's a Mary Smith, you have a problem. You know, if it's a you know Jebediah um, Ezekiel, uh, you know, some name that's that's a little more specialized, you you can probably know if you found the right person. But even then, if you have a wireless computer and you're starting to look online. And you look that person up. I can I can almost guarantee by the time you get your signal back and you found something and you think it might be the right person, the judge has moved on to juror number two or juror number three or even juror number four. Judges like to keep the pace moving in voir dire, and so the reality of of it is that just the time consuming reality of it is, if that's the situation, the typical jury trial, you're not going to be able to use this type of search uh, to find out about your jurors. You just you just it's just not fast enough. Now what you can do is Send the names, if you're given the names or a list of names, um, out back to the law firm where you can have a, a cadre of people standing by, you know, six paralegals, to start doing searches on these people. And then as you're building your your decisions and writing down your information about the jurors, that information can come filtering back to the trial team and you can add it to the profile you're developing for each juror and, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down, do we like this person or not like this person to to be a, a juror. And so it, it's possible to do that, and, and we've been in that situation in a couple of times, and we've used that format. So I, I know it's workable, but again, that might be a little bit longer jury selection. In the notorious trials, um, you know, the Michael Jackson molestation trial, you know, or Martha Stewart, uh, where where supplemental juror questionnaires (SJQs) are sent out, and often you have the names and even addresses of the jurors, you know, maybe three days, maybe five days ahead of time. That opens up a whole different world, and you can do those kinds of things. But those cases, you have to remember, are the exception rather than the norm. Um, the typical, you know, prosecutor DUI case, or even a civil case that's a slip and fall in a Kmart, you know, that's a four-day trial. You're not going to get a supplemental juror questionnaire. You're not going to get lengthy voir dire. You're going to get, you know, the short shrift when it comes to jury selection. Judges. For judges, typically, the shorter the better. You know, and sometimes you still even hear judges say, you know, any 12 will do, you know, the first 12 in the box for them. So it, it's not something that yet, at this point in, uh, in the world of social media, is happening, you know, on a daily basis or, or in every, certainly in every trial. I think it's heading in that direction, though, because these search engines are getting faster. There are now search engines that will do global searches. You put in a name... You pay them, you know, twenty dollars a search. Uh, you put in a name, and they will search all popular social websites. They'll search all uh, databases that they can get public access to. And then, of course, if you're willing to pay even more than that, we've had some clients 
that were willing to pay $100 a juror, and you can do a more extensive search. And again, if if and only if you have the time, because the information just won't come back fast enough if you don't have the time. So, um, you know, and then budget's always an issue. It's not inexpensive to have six people standing by and waiting to do this. Um, and it starts to add up really quick if you've got a day-long jury selection, as often happens here in Chicago in the in the state courts and, and occasionally even in the federal courts. Uh, if you've got a day and people are, are searching and you've got six, eight, ten people working on this, it it ends up being quite a bill for the jury selection that you know, the, the law firms just aren't willing to foot or their, their clients aren't willing to foot. So time is certainly an issue and um, and budget is certainly an issue. You've got to have both of those things if you're going to make this system work. Um, but I think, but I think as it gets faster, we're going to see more and more of it, uh, where you can just simply plug a name in, it'll do the proper search, and it'll come back with relevant information. I guess that's that's where I'd like to go next. Is you know what's relevant information? You know, we talked a little bit about this, Nick, before the show started. Um, you know, just because someone posts it on their Facebook doesn't necessarily mean it's true, and um, and so you have to take everything with a grain of salt, just as you do in the regular jury selection when you ask the juror question and they give you an answer, you have to decide if they're being uh, candid, if they're being uh, completely truthful, if they're giving you the socially desirable answer, you know, one that's, that everybody expects to hear. You don't hear very many people in a, in a landfill or a contamination case, environmental contamination case, to say, yeah, the environment can go suck an egg. You know, I don't care about the environment. Nobody will say that. But, you know, if you dig a little deeper and you try to tie behaviors to what they say they are. Yes, I'm an environmentalist. Well, have you ever contributed any money? Have you ever been on any demonstrations? Have you ever, you know, it's no, no, no. You say, well, you're not really an environmentalist, then. You're you're one in name, but not necessarily in action. So, just as with any jury selection question, you have to take it with a grain of salt, and um, and build, as I said at the very start of the show, a composite of the person. You know, is this a person who's who's open and honest, who can be fair, who can listen to the evidence, isn't going to come in with a preset bias one direction or another? And whether social media contributes to that, you know, okay, you find out their favorite restaurants and you find out where they like to hang out and what clubs they go to and you find out a little bit about their friends. You might find out who their favorite radio shows are, you know, the kinds of things that you can read on someone's Facebook. It still doesn't, you know, it's, it's not normally one datum, one piece of information that swings you and says, oh, this is a terrible person for my case, this is a great person for my case. You've got to synthesize all that, if you would, almost like the, the computer that's playing the Jeopardy contestants now, and spit out an answer. You know, what is, what is, it, what is the big picture on this person? Not necessarily uh, one, in, one individual piece of information, and is that going to swing me over? Now, that said, you might, you might see something there uh, that is enough to push that juror over to the bad side of the page for you and make your decision. Well, knowing that, just that one thing, I'm not, I certainly don't want that person on my uh, jury. We're catching them in a lie. You know, they, they state one thing uh, publicly on their Facebook or their blog, and then they tell you something different in court. That's, that's a warning sign that, you know, maybe this person has an agenda, maybe this isn't a person that I want to take a chance with on this jury. I'm going to use one of my limited strikes to get rid of this person. And, um, and people are worried about this social media, so I guess I'll just make my editorial comment at this point. As I said, it's it's not happening all that often yet, so it's not that big of, a, of an issue yet for those who are, are are offended by it. But on the other hand, at the same time, jury selection, 
it, it, it's not like you get to decide who you want on your jury, and and it's a it's a mistake that a lot of people make. A lot of people say, you know, jury select, you know, having a jury selection expert there, or you know, that what they're what they're doing is help stack the deck in favor of one person or the other. Well, if there's 16, if the, let's say there's 20 jurors that are interviewed, each side gets three strikes, and the, the 14 that are left are going to be the 12 jurors and the two alternates. You don't get to decide who stays in that group. You only get to decide who you don't like, who you don't think can be fair to your client. And those are the three you're going to take off, and presumably the other side is going to do the same thing, the three obvious ones that they don't like. And what you're left with is the jurors in the middle, hopefully those that don't have a bias, that don't have an agenda, and, and that's how the, the system's supposed to work. So those who say, you know, investigations of social media is stacking the deck or, or using this information is, is unfair and gives one side an advantage if they do it and the other side doesn't. Uh, I think they're just, at, at this point in time, you know, we're not, we're not big brother. We don't know everything that's out there. And, and to say that, you know, looking at this information, gleaning this information, somehow is the... Um, you know the the the, the end all be all it makes makes you a winner every time in jury selection would would truly be a mistake to go out on that limb well and and uh, you know what just a quick comment i had a client call me uh yesterday who said that he was in uh, a, a trial in the suburbs and based on the makeup of the jury based on the defendant based on what he anticipated he it, completely expected well of course he uh, believes he has quite savvy lawyering skills and I'll give him hats off to that but he, he really expected uh, the jury to go one way and um, they came back with a not guilty in like minutes <laughs> yeah it's it's always astounding to me um, you know we we sometimes get calls um, you know we ha- I had one recently um, well the jury's been out um, you know for four hours, and you know, they asked to have a certain portion of the law reread to them. You know, what do you think is going on? What do you think is going on? Uh, I think they had a question. You know, <laughs> you know, it, it, to try and look into the, the the mind of a person or of twelve people and decide what they're trying to do back there is pretty much guesswork. Now we can we can go historically on, you know, the longer they're out, usually the better it is for a defendant in a criminal trial because it means that, you know. They couldn't decide on guilt or innocence right away. There is a debate going on, but which way is it going? You know, that's that's really tough to tell. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, we're gonna let's we're gonna pause for a break, um, and then we'll be right back, and we'll continue uh, with the last segment. We'll continue with this, and um, I have to start with the, you'll, you'll like this, John. Uh, when we pause, well, our our third um, segment break, we bring you practice management resources, and I think that you'll like this title. <laughs> the first uh, law practice management resource from today is the ABA Web Store and ABA Publishing. The title that we've been reading this week, also in promoting this show, has been Mastering Voir Dire in Jury Selection. Gain an edge in questioning and selecting your jury third edition. This much-anticipated and expanded third edition by one of the nation's most experienced trial consultants goes beyond other books on jury selection and focuses on the skills needed to conduct effective voir dire and jury selection, ultimately improving your chances of a favorable verdict at trial. This valuable guide will help you understand the effective voir dire and jury selection strategies and then adapt them into unique circumstances you face in your trial jurisdiction. So, that is the ABA Webster in ABA Publishing, Mastering Voir Dire and Jury Selection, Gain an Edge in Questioning and Selecting Your Jury, 3rd Edition. Our second practice management resource today is the Law Bulletin Publishing Company. When you subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and Chicago Lawyer Magazine, you will receive up-to-date legal news 
from Chicago and around Illinois. Also check out the blog, the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly career seminar for lawyers in flux in their careers. I am one of the weekly advice columnists published on the Attorneys in Transition site, and I hope that you visit and leave your comment at attorneysintransition.com. Finally, our third practice management resource is our very own ALRPRA Practice Management Services. We offer hourly consulting and fixed-fee project-based services in systems development for your office management, as well as our core business activities in public relations, marketing, technology, management, and finance. Our webinars and hands-on desk reference materials are available for attorneys in transition and all attorneys, especially anyone launching or maintaining a solo practice. Please visit our At Work page at ALR. PRA.com for more information. Now, before we get into the last segment, we want to bring you a message from our final commercial sponsor. It's our friend, credit damage expert, George Finder. Your credit score and reputation are valuable assets. If you suffer damage to your credit score, you should consider your damages. Credit damage expert, George Finder, is an expert who can put a dollar amount on damage to your credit score. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and the attorneys and plaintiffs who've retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas such as personal injury, employment law, family, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate the credit damage questions into your intake process, you and your staff can learn how to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. Available nationwide, credit damage expert George Finder is available to consult with you on your case. The credit damage expert website is full of resources and a short video explaining what this is, and the website is creditdamageexpert.com. Again, creditdamageexpert.com. Go learn more about George Finder and his expert services. Now back to our show. We want to remind people if you have any uh, questions, listeners out there, you can call in 917-889-9732, option 1 for the caller queue. And also we want to remind you that you can find information about our shows on ALRPRA.com on the Law Talk Radio tab or also by going to Facebook and searching in the search bar under Law Talk Radio to find our Law Talk Radio fan page. Uh, We also appreciate the opportunity for you to share these shows with other people in your networks as many of our guests find our shows through Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter as they're shared with other people. So again, as our topic started out with social media and its impact on what's going on with jury selection, we go back into our final segment with John Gilliland. John, take it away. Sure. Um, We've talked so far, I guess, about how the lawyers uh, investigate the jurors through their social media during the jury selection, and then how jurors prospective jurors might investigate the parties as the jury selection is ongoing, and then once they're seated as jurors, they may even cross the line and blog or tweet or or investigate during the trial, coming up with their own evidence to supplement what they're hearing in court. And then I think the the, sort of the final areas where I've seen social media play a role um, are two. One is um, uh, during the trial, um, the lawyers looking at the plaintiffs themselves, sometimes if it's a personal injury case, and looking at what they've posted on their web page or their social media and using that information to try and impeach them at trial or other witnesses in the case. 
um, you know, that, that come in a character witness or or someone who's who says they were there or eyewitness who saw something and is talking about them, their their perceptions of what they saw. You can try to discredit them if they're inconsistent with what there is out there on their their social media uh, web pages and what they say in court. And I'll give you one example that I know of that happened recently is a witness came in and said she was offended by the use of the N-word. Um, she was African-American, and she said she was offended by the use of the N-word and, the, and never tolerated that, and it would be wrong. And they asked her if she personally used it you know, in her social circles and her friends, and she said no. And then they trotted out her web page where it was there, and it was there a number of times in uh, dialogue and postings that she had. And it, it worked very effectively, from what I understand, with the jury to discredit that witness, and, and they didn't give what she had to say about the rest of the case much credence. So um, people are using social media within a trial as part of the trial uh, to you know, be advocates and get their point across and, and, and their arguments across for their clients. And then the other area that I, I see this happening is if, if, if uh, lawyers are going to attack plaintiffs and witnesses in this fashion, I think at some point you're going to find uh, plaintiffs' lawyers you know, coaching or or uh, advising their their plaintiffs and their witnesses to put things, you know, to to um, make sure clean up their media, and maybe even post things that would be favorable. And I'm and I'm and maybe I'm being a little cynical, but I could see a plaintiff, you know, who has claims of mental anguish or personal injury, or uh, you know, the injury on the job is stopping them from working and putting postings. You know, I, I looked for work again today. You know, no luck out there. Nobody wants me with my with my back pain that I have. Uh, and talking about the, the discomfort that they have, rather than talking about the fun they had on their vacation, which is maybe what they would have done without the coaching, they're now going to eliminate those kinds of, you know, anything anything fun and exciting that they do in their life, and instead they're going to paint a picture uh, that's more consistent with the story that they're trying to tell at trial. Now, w- whether jurors will buy that and jurors will see through that, you know, I, I would think I, I give jurors a lot of credence. I think jurors will take... Uh, that sort of evidence uh, with a grain of salt and make decisions about it. But it certainly couldn't help. And I think social media is going to, to worm its way deeper and deeper into the, jur- into the trial process, you know, whether it be with jurors, witnesses, uh, actual parties. Uh, it, it's just got to because it's not going to go away. It's, it's only expanding and getting faster and better. And, you know, we, have, we don't see many iPads yet in, in court, but we're going to start seeing them soon, I think, with the, with the new version that's out. So, um, is it fair? Is it unfair? Is it ethical? Or is it unethical? I, you know, I think it's it's overblown right now. I don't think that um, we necessarily have to worry about it uh, to the to the extent yet. Judges are now starting to take control and understand the possibilities. And you know, all it takes is a few mistrials, not even in in front of that judge, but in that courthouse, for most of the judges to sit up and take notice and say, "I better do something about this. I better rein this in." while I can. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. And as we look at things and the developments in the future, um, you know, there's some question about jury. Let's just talk a little bit about trial and jury consulting. And I'd like to uh, address one of the negative comments that I've heard from some people who have said that jury consulting is hogwash. And have these people been lawyers before? How many trials have they done? Why do they think they know this? What do you? Uh, how do you answer some of those critiques? Well, 
you know, certainly have to understand the role of a jury consultant and what they're there for. They're, they're certainly not there to replace the lawyer. Um, you know, we hear that a lot in witness prep. We do witness prep, but but lawyers have been doing it for generations on their own. You know, why do they need us? And I think we do bring a different perspective to it. I, I've done over 700 jury research exercises where we'll have anywhere from, you know, uh, one panel of deliberating jurors, you know, 12 to 14 jurors, up to 60 mock jurors. We might have them there for a day or two days as we go through a case. And then we debrief them. We break them into panels. We, we debrief them, review the, the tapes. We learn a lot about how decisions are made and how jurors think and how they approach uh, certain issues, and especially when you see it time and time again over and over. And, uh, you know, as you know, the, the, the actual jury process, the in-court process, is, is oblique to lawyers. You don't get to see jurors deliberating. So if anything, I think we bring a very specialized skill uh, the knowledge of how jurors think and how they react because we watch it all the time in our mock jurors which which they take very very seriously and and uh, they make they make key decisions and tell us what they like and don't like about a case and help us build a better case based on that feedback so i i think we do bring that understanding of both the decision making process and then if in terms of the jury selection itself we've seen every permutation you know of the older white male with uh, you know 30 years at general electric um and, and how sometimes, you know, they don't always go all in the same direction just because they're older white males. And so what is it that kicks a person from being pro-plaintiff to pro-defense in the civil case or pro-prosecution to pro-defense in the in the criminal case? We, we see that a lot. We see it happen in front of our eyes because we get to watch those jury deliberations, those mock jury deliberations. And so I think we bring that expertise. Um, you know, what's our training? Do we have legal training? No. If you if If you want a legal opinion, go hire another lawyer to talk to you about your case. But we're we're social scientists uh, for the most part, uh, psychologists, um, communication specialists, um, some from the political science realm, um, some from sociology. Uh, it doesn't take anything. You, the, the, those people are absolutely right. Anybody can hang up their shingle and say I'm a jury consultant. But if you if you get the right one with the right credentials, someone who's actually studied the field. Um, in my in my instance, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm a, I'm an experimental psychologist. I studied attitudes and attitude change, impression formation, how we come to view other people, small group dynamics, what it takes to be a leader in a group, when can the small faction, the minority faction in a group, sway or convince the larger faction, like, like in Twelve Angry Men, when Henry Fonda stands alone and then eventually convinces everybody to come over to his side of the table. Does that really happen in real life? It can, but it's very very rare. If you understand small group dynamics, you know how to manipulate those things or try to manipulate those things to your advantage. And we bring that expertise into helping the lawyers become better advocates to build a better story, if you will. Back to jury selection, I think you know the goal, as we said, is take those three people who can't be fair to your side out. Let the other side take the three people who can't be fair to their side out. You're left with what's in the middle. And I see our role when we're doing the mock jury research is helping the lawyers to shape the most appealing story to reach the largest segment of those jurors that are in the middle. Those that, you know, the what psychologists often say is the tabula rasa, a blank slate. You know, you, in some ways you don't want the people with particular expertise in the field of electronics if it's an, if it's a case about electronics, um, because you want to you want to tell the story and teach what the story is, is uh, for those people who don't have the specialized expertise. And so we help build that better mousetrap. Uh, so that when you go into trial, you're telling the best story that will be the best story for your client.
Wonderful. And, Just it's a go ahead. I mean, go ahead. But we got to finish. No, I think that I think that's it. I I, I get off my soapbox. Um, <laughs> what I, else? Do you, what can you tell us real quickly? What else uh, your uh, group does and how they can get a hold of you? Well, sure. We, uh, Trial Graphics, as the name suggests, we've been around uh, twenty years now. Um, started off in the graphics business and then quickly added in animations, pure demonstratives that are used in court. You know, if you have to model something uh, to make it more readily understandable. And in 1995, uh, you know, a good 16 years ago, we added jury consulting. So we have a, we have uh, 10 jury consultants now across the country. And um, and then we also do the courtroom presentation systems. We uh, help at trial with all the equipment, the electronics, the screens, the monitors, uh, building a war room, which is the, the behind-the-scenes place where the lawyers work during the trial. And so we help with the graphics. We help with the jury uh the jury work, that's jury witness preparation, uh, jury selection, doing mock exercises, monitoring the trial going and sitting during the trial and, and advising the team on how it's going and what's coming across and what's not. And then, uh, of course, post-trial interviews. We spend a lot of time on the phone with jurors after the fact talking with them. So we, we sort of run the, the, the gamut of uh, trial services, litigation support services. And uh, we're... we're um, you can find us on the web at just trialgraphics.com, you know, T-R-I-L-G-R-A-P-H-I-X.com, and uh, you'll can read all about us there. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. John Gilliland, for being our guest today. My pleasure. All right. We'd also like to thank all of our uh, loyal listeners, and we'd like to thank our sponsors. We're going to read uh, and plug this event uh, in a second. Um, We want to thank, first, the Professional Bull Riders, Chicago Invitational, and Chief Marketing Officer Dockery Clark for calling into the program today. We also want to thank Nancy K. Ducharme of the Law Offices of Nancy K. Ducharme. Third, Steve Fretzen and Sales Results Incorporated. Fourth, Jim Thompson of the Midwest Consulting Group Get Clients Now program and their new website, Lawyers Marketing Resource. We'd also like to thank credit damages expert George Finder. Now again, this weekend, a new breed of bull is in town. The professional bull riders are here in Chicago at the United Center. From March 5th to 6th, the Chicago Invitational is going on, and tickets start at $10 and are available at United Center box office. Again, we had the 1985 Chicago Bears players today, some of them at Union Station, riding uh, the mechanical bulls, and I I hear we had one of our uh, Northwestern uh, students uh, won the bull riding contest, so that is very exciting. And we will be uh, going tomorrow. Uh, I'll be over there at at the United Center for the Chicago Invitational, meeting uh, some of the bull riders and uh, learning more about professional bull riding. Again, a sport that has seemed to uh, caught the eye of many uh, who otherwise didn't really know. And um, we don't have a lot of uh, bull riding uh, here in Chicago or the great state of Illinois, so we really welcome them for coming by. So um, some upcoming shows we have, all sorts of good shows. Check out our Law Talk radio page on Facebook uh, when we promote the shows in advance. We also want to give you again our disclaimer this is a general information program and advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice and results may vary on based on facts and location communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney client relationship our programming is politically neutral and objective call us with your counterpoints if you have uh, another guest or something you'd like to offer as a counterpoint don't be shy email me nick n-i-c-k at a-l-r-p-r-a dot com also all of our callers uh, and guests do remain confident 
Confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Again, these Law Talk radio broadcasts are programmed so that we can bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With guests and listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALR PRA Incorporated, and as always, we thank you for your time.